Hello, Center Way Church. I'm Deidre. And I'm Kira. And we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. If you're on the Sunday Morning Live platform right now, feel free to say hi in the chat as we get started. Yeah, we're so excited to be gathering with all of you. There are a number of people we want to welcome, so hello to those of you gathering live on Sunday, including our student watch party and other watch parties out there. And hello to everyone watching or listening later on in the week. And a very special welcome to any guests joining us for the very first time. Over the next couple of minutes, we will share some information, much of which we talk through every single week, and that's primarily for our guests. We understand visiting us online isn't the same as visiting in person and having that personal interaction with us, but we're excited you're choosing to spend time with us and hope you feel at home today. You can learn more about us on our website, but for now we'll touch on some things related to your first gathering at Centerway. And even if you've gathered here many times before, we hope this helps you too. Yeah, for sure. I'll start with a quick overview of the live platform in case you find yourself there. Uh, you'll find tabs right on the platform that will allow you to do the following things. You can share your information with us, which if it's your first time, we'd love your information so that we can follow up with you and get some feedback from you. You can explore next steps, you can find previous messages, and there's also a tab to give for those that call Centerway home, and if you'd like to give conveniently that way. You can also ask questions or request prayer, and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening to this message later on in the week and you're not on the live platform this morning, you can do many of those things through our website. For anyone out there, guests or familiar faces, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer, we would love to help and serve you. So just email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. That covers the basics of connecting today, but there are ways you can engage throughout the week. You can certainly find us on social media, and our website has a number of resources to, to design to go with the message and help you grow in your spiritual journey. Kira's gonna touch on a quick list of a few of them. I sure am. Mm -hmm. I'll start with the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. They're created by our preaching team to go along with the message you're about to hear, and they take you deeper into the text for the week. They're posted on our website, or you can have them sent directly to your inbox by subscribing to the devotionals on the Next Steps page of the website. Another way to consider the message this week is by adding an image to your phone or desktop with the application on it. It's a helpful reminder throughout the week. The last thing that I'll mention is that we have a message that's just for kids. Our teams work together so that our Centerway kids are able to learn from the same scripture text we are. It's presented in a kid-friendly way with the same application as us. So you're able to talk about it together if you have kids in your home. Because I've only highlighted a few resources available to you, we encourage you to check out the Next Steps page and Messages page for additional information. Yeah, definitely check out those. Uh, just so you know, today is week eight, the last week of our Unnoticed series. This series has been amazing, don't you think? I definitely yeah. think so. Yeah, and in case you want to revisit any of it, the messages and weekly resources will continue to live on our website even after the next series starts next week. So just visit the Messages page and scroll down to the series archive to find all of our previous series. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Eric will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then Deidre and I will come back to close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now here's Eric with the text for today. Hi, my name is Eric and I will be reading today's scripture, which is Mark 8. 22 to 30. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again 
and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Hello, my name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Excited that you have the opportunity to be with us this morning as we continue in our series, Unnoticed. Uh, this morning's message specifically is entitled Truth, so Unnoticed Truth. And uh, today's passage that you just heard read marks the end of our Unnoticed series. This passage is also unique because we see the climax of the whole first half of the book of Mark. You see, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, uh, for the first eight chapters, we've been grappling with this question, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we're reading about? In fact, who he is, despite his profound preaching, his incredible teaching, and even his awe-inspiring, breathtaking miracles, believe it or not, is going unnoticed. It's going unnoticed until, until Peter's answer to Jesus' question that we just heard read moments ago. Now, we'll talk more about Peter's answer and its implications in the next series that we're going to begin next week. But today, I want to focus on the miracle that takes place right before Peter gives his opinion on who Jesus is. His opinion on who Jesus is. Opinion, right? Isn't that funny? Opinion are really, really funny things. Opinions. Everyone has an opinion. Whether or not you feel comfortable or compelled to share it, the truth is you have an opinion. You have an opinion on lots of things. We all do. As humans, we have opinions. I can prove it to you rather easily. Baloney. Baloney. The meat. You have an opinion, right? Some of you, as I said, baloney, you're like, mm, I love baloney. Others of you were like, oh, baloney. That's Satan's mystery meat sent on earth to kill all human beings. <laughs> now, as you can tell, maybe I'm not a fan of bologna, um, but regardless of how you feel about bologna, there's a spectrum and you land somewhere on that. You're like, okay, the Satan thing's a little too far, but it is kind of gross or somewhere in between, you know, somewhere on that spectrum. The fact is you have an opinion on something as meaningless as bologna. And if you're in a watch party or something, you guys are probably talking about bologna right now, which I have no idea why I derailed things that way, but it's the truth. We have opinions on things. Now, I could use other examples that are more polarizing, right? I could talk about politics. You have an opinion about politics, especially right now. I could talk about COVID. You have an opinion about COVID. We all do, right? We all have opinions about everything. I could even talk about the Buffalo Bills, but I want to survive. So I'm not going to talk about the Bills at all. The, the truth is we all have opinions and some of them are very strong. Whether they're about food or social issues, politics, sports, you name it, you have an opinion. The question is, why do we often have an opinion? Why? I mean, we all agree as humans, often we have an opinion, but why? 
Why is it that we all have an opinion? I want to submit to you that we often have an opinion because we think we see clearly. We think we see something clearly. Something is obvious to us. It's obvious to us. And so because it's obvious to us, we have an opinion on that. It's our perspective. And of course, our perspective is always accurate. It's always the right perspective because it's ours. And if we're honest, we see things clearer than everyone else about our world. It's our perspective. There's, there's nothing inherently sinful about that. It's the reality of the sinful nature of humanity. As humans, we have a perspective and an opinion, and we think that our perspective is right. Now listen, our opinion about things is directly connected to how we view the world. Let me say that again, not because it's profound, but because I think it bears mentioning one more time. Our opinion is directly connected to how we view the world. Now, this has always been true. And like I said, there's nothing new or profound about that statement. But it is uniquely dangerous in 2021. As we enter into this year, it's uniquely dangerous because now, for the first time in history, we have this robust thing called social media. And so unapologetically, these social media platforms and outlets, they they actually have algorithms that they're unapologetic about that are designed to push content to you that you're interested in. So what's unique about that is that you are being fed information and content that align with your perspective. So you already think you're right about something, you already have an opinion, and then all these social media platforms are pushing content that is similar to your opinion right to your feed. And so because of that, we as humans are now more than ever fortified in our opinion. I mean, we're convinced about it. We have evidence, we have proof, because it just gets fed to us on a continual basis. Our view of the world is the accurate one. Our opinion is the one that matters. That's why two highly educated and very civilized people that are social media friends can suddenly attack one another and unfriend each other. Their feeds are totally different, so the facts that they've been fed are diametrically opposed. So here is the explosive problem. They don't really want to know the other person's opinion because their own opinion is right. That's the world system. That's the way the world works is to, to fortify our perspective, to look out for number one. And so now more than ever, we have technology assisting us in that dangerous journey. You see, the world's system says your opinion is what matters, your truth is what matters, but the kingdom of God is different. And if you profess Christ as Lord, you should be different because your perspective should be different. So let's look at what the Bible says about this topic. Now, although it might seem that we're not talking about the topic at face value, you're going to realize as we journey through that we're talking exactly about this topic as we move through the text. Let's look at verses 23 through 25. 23 through 25 says, And he, meaning Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? 
And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's an incredible miracle. Again, super disturbing miracle. Like Jesus just spits on his eyes. That's more than I can really process, honestly. It's rather disgusting, but it's an extremely unique miracle. Not because he spits on this man, he has done similar things that involve putting his hand on this, on another man's tongue and putting his fingers in people's ears. Why are there all these details? It appears at this point, the reason why this is unique as far as miracles go is it's the only time where it appears that the healing didn't work the first time, right? Isn't that interesting? Up until this point, we, we don't experience anything like this. Why in the world does it seem like Jesus is incapable of healing this man the first time? Is it, is it possible that Jesus needs a second try? <laughs> does Jesus need to try harder? Of course not. Of course not. He's God. But even, even if you say, well, you're, you're just jaded by that perspective. That's your opinion, if you will. Let's just look at the history that we've experienced so far with Jesus. Up until this moment, he has healed people by touching them, but he has also healed people without physically touching them, just by saying the word. We've also read in the text that he has healed people he's never met. A loved one comes and says, will you heal? And he says, they're healed. And they go back to find them healed. He's cast out demons, a legion of demons. He has talked to a dead person and rose them from the dead, right? At this point, if you're following along in these first eight chapters, we've seen Jesus capable of doing everything and anything that he wants first shot. Why is this different? Why is this different? What is happening here? Why is it here? Well, the first thing that I want to tell you is that it's here because it actually happened. Once again, uh, if you're making up a God or if you're just telling stories to try to trick people, you wouldn't include things like this because at face value, it looks like sometimes he heals and sometimes he needs a second round. But you just not include this type of story unless it happened. So the first obvious one is it happened. Beyond that, it's here because Jesus is teaching us something, something that's deeper than face value. Now, he's not teaching how to pray, how to pray for people that need this type of healing that, you know, sometimes if it doesn't work the first time, you just, you pray again and then you'll get it, you know, that time will work out. It's not a model on how to heal people with sight issues. Otherwise, he would have said, this is a model. And like we've said in past weeks, when Jesus does that, he actually says, this is how you need to respond to this situation. So he is teaching something, but it's not a model. Let's consider the context for a second. We're coming off of the realization that the Pharisees and the disciples don't get who Jesus is, that they are spiritually blind. Now, they're spiritually blind for different reasons that we talked about last week, but the fact is, nonetheless, they are spiritually blind. So in context, it's coming off the heels of that. The other thing that we have to remember here is that when we see Jesus do something specific, it's not because Jesus has to do those things, but it's because he does them with intention. There's something for us to learn here. There's something for us to understand that's deeper. So what is it that Jesus is teaching? What is it that we need to come away with? Again, 
Let's consider the context. In context, we realize Jesus is teaching us that healing spiritual blindness is a process. There's almost a parable taking place here through this healing. He's showing us that spiritual blindness is a process. Healing from spiritual blindness is a process. Even when our heart is awakened to the truth of the gospel and we see Jesus clearly, we still have blind spots. Have you ever heard the phrase, I finally know enough to know how little I know? Or some variation of that. It's like you need to know enough of a, about a topic in order to realize, oh, yeah, I don't know much. I've just scratched the surface. If you think you know everything about a subject, the truth is you don't know enough to realize how little you know. Right? I could give endless examples of that. And if you just consider your, your profession or if you're a student that's looking, whether it's your school or a sport or something like that, a game that you play, the, the fact is if you have experience in some vein, you understand what I'm talking about. You know enough to know how little you know. You see, when you think that you have all the information, when you think you've arrived at the truth, at the, at, the, at the actual opinion that sort of validates the things that you know to be true, when you think you know everything about a topic, it's your pride that's telling you you see clearly. That's human nature. If you're feeling that right now, <laughs> let me tell you, you have great company because every single one of us does it. Our opinion, our opinion and our perspective on the world, it gets to a place where our pride tells us that we're seeing things clearly. And it's our self-deception that pits us against others. Now, it's not that you're wrong, necessarily. It doesn't mean that you're wrong, but it does mean that others might see something more clearly than you. The thing is, our perspective pushes us away from people that have different perspectives. It pits people against one another. It's a tool of the enemy. It's our fallen flesh. You name it. It's a reality of humanity. It's why if you look, you don't have to look too far in our history to see where otherwise civilized, intelligent people would be pitted against one another because of their perspective because of their opinion. Listen, do you see enough spiritually to realize how spiritually blind you actually are? Let's connect the reality of humanity into the spiritual underpinnings. Do you see enough spiritually to realize how spiritually blind you really are? Or is your spiritual pride not willing to entertain that thought. Because we can establish a similar perspective, not only the way that we live our lives, but also the way we engage with God. To say, listen, my perspective on this is right. I understand. If we're honest, we're blinded by our own opinion sometimes. We're blinded by it. I remember growing up, there was a, a road that connected two communities, the community I grew in, grew up in and the one neighboring community. It was called 60 Road. And uh, growing up, kids used to race down it. 
you know, they would get their cars and go to that road. And there was kind of a straight shot, but there were a lot of also hills, crests of hills. It was a rather dangerous road. And I remember um, that parents of my friends and stuff knew that people raced down that road. And they would say all the time, you better not race down that road. And it kind of came out that one of my friends was racing some of my other friends down that road. And so my parents said, you're not riding with that person. They're, you're not going to be allowed to go. It's like, what? Like, he's dangerous. We've told him several times not to do it. He's going to get himself killed or someone else killed. You're not getting in that car. I was so upset because he used to give us rides everywhere. And so I was so annoyed at him. I was, I was annoyed at my parents. I was just, come on, just stop doing it. Stop racing. I can ride along. Well, one of our acquaintances, he wasn't a friend, but I knew him, uh, was racing down that road and he went to a different school and, um, he was racing down that road and crossed over the double lines uh, to pass somebody. And when he did, he came over the crest of a hill and hit another car going about 50 miles. The other car was going about 55 miles an hour. He was going in excess of 70 miles an hour and um, hit that car head on and almost died. Thank God he didn't. He ended up in the hospital for a long time. Um, he had a cast up to his armpits and it was it was just terrible. He, he, had, he was a mess. He was a mess. And all of our friends had this wake up moment. Like, oh my gosh. And so I remember very specifically my friend coming over to my parents' home, to my home <laughs> and saying, Hey, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Valdez, I just want to let you know, um, you know, if you're okay with it, I can drive Claude around. I, I promise I'm, I'm never going to go down that road, uh, speeding ever again. I'm not going to race. I'm not going to go over the double lines, like lesson learned. He named this person in the situation. And, uh, my parents were like, well, I'm glad to hear that. And, um, you know, as long as you, as long as you don't do that, then my kids can ride with you. And I was elated and we talked a little bit about it. Um, and I remember him specifically, we were sitting in the, in the car, I was in the front seat and he looks over at me and he said, um, he goes, man, he was a mess. He had visited him in the hospital. He goes, man, he was a mess. He goes, it really kind of, you know, woke me up. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know. Like I knew it was dangerous and everybody was telling me it was dangerous, but like, I didn't really see it until all of a sudden, you know, you see it, you know what I mean? And I, I remember sitting there and thinking, you need to see somebody almost kill themselves to realize the seriousness of what you were doing. And I remember his, his language enough to when I was preparing this message, it just came right to the forefront of my mind. What he was really saying is, although he knew the information, he was blinded by his opinion. His opinion was at that point in that age, he's indestructible. He's a good enough driver. He's not going to get hurt. Everybody else, it's dangerous. But for him, it's not until he knew enough to know he might be wrong. It's amazing how experiences and situations, circumstances start to open our eyes to the areas that we're blind in even though we know the truth, even though we know the reality of the situation. Verses 27 through 29 say this, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And he told them, and they told him, sorry, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And, and he said to them, this is Jesus now, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. It's this profound moment, this incredible 
moment, this climax of Mark, this reality where they've had this front row seat to everything they should have connected the dots on, everything they should have known, and yet all of a sudden in this moment, it all comes clear. What was unnoticed suddenly becomes noticed. What's everyone's opinion of me, Jesus says. That's what he's asking. What's everyone's opinion? And then he says, what's your opinion? And I can only imagine that all of heaven was just leaning in on this. It had to be like a moment of silence. Like, here is the aha moment. You are the Christ. The unnoticed truth. Incredible. Jesus didn't come to show them how to live. He didn't, he didn't come to, to show them how to die the death that their sins deserve. No, Jesus came and lived the life that they could not live. And he died ultimately the death that we deserve. That means that we aren't our own savior. For some of us, that's an epiphany this morning. Because as much as we love that, we either don't live it, but we certainly don't like it. What I mean by that is we live our lives as if we are our own savior. If we're our own savior, then our opinion is the opinion that matters. Our perspective is the accurate perspective. That's the world system. But if Jesus is in fact our Lord and savior, then his opinion is the one that matters. He is the truth, the life, and the way. And so therefore, there are ripple effects in the way that we live our lives, the way we interact with others. Our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price. We love it, but we're not sure we like it sometimes. Unless, unless maybe this morning you're spiritually blind. You see, we are blind and then we begin to see. Amazing Grace, you've heard the song? But get this, we wrongly think that spiritual maturity is a moment. We think that spiritual maturity is a moment rather than a process. That all of a sudden we come into relationship with Jesus and we say, okay, you're our savior. I get it. I'm done being on this hamster wheel. I'm done with the pain and the hurt of this world, the things that I've tried to fill my life with. And so God, I give it to you. And, that, and then we think in that moment that we are spiritually mature, that we go from blindness to sight and that it's a done deal. But that's not what happens. Salvation is a moment. Our relationship with God begins in that moment, but spiritual maturity is a process. Think about it in terms of a, of a typical relationship, a, a human relationship. There's a moment that you get introduced to someone and you now know them, but that relationship requires some work. It requires some conversations in order for you to really truly know them. And so when we cross over into that moment of salvation, we're beginning a relationship with God because of the person and work of Jesus, because he has done what we could never do for ourselves. We are in right relationship with God and the, the journey begins there. Sanctification is both a moment, it's both immediate and ongoing. I had a, a professor in college that said there was this, he kind of phrased it as a Paul trap. You'd say you fall into a Paul trap. And the, uh, the Paul trap is this, that we all think we can have a Damascus Road experience. 
And if you aren't familiar with the story, the apostle Paul at the time was named Saul and he was headed down a road to Damascus when he had this encounter with God that knocked him off his donkey and literally changed his world. It was this epiphany where he was literally blind and all of a sudden he could see and he changed his name to Paul. And it was the beginning of of an incredible uh, relationship with the Lord. And as a result, sometimes we fall into that trap that we think we're living our lives. And there's this Damascus road experience, this moment where like, oh my gosh, I see now. And so I'll never question again and I'll never have any concerns and, and God will lead me and direct me in all things. But we forget that Paul was a theologian, that Paul prior to his conversion, knew everything there was to know about the Old Testament. He was astute, astute theologian. His process looked more like connecting the dots of a lifelong journey. It was like he knew God all along, but they had never met. And all of a sudden in that moment, boom, and he connects all the dots. And he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You see, That's not typical. And if you think that that's what's going to happen, then you're going to fall into a Paul trap. The truth is most people's spiritual journey look a lot more like Peter's. They look a lot more like Peter. A process of learning to follow Jesus. A process where things happen right in front of us and we're like, wait, I missed it. (laughs) Wait, I I missed it again. Hold on. I I don't know that I even believe in Jesus. I don't even align with him right now. And we betray him and Jesus forgives and gives grace. And it's a journey, a lifelong process. See, a lot of people and even those that call themselves Christians are lying to themselves and declaring that they see fine, that things are crystal clear to them, that they have a perspective that no one else has, that they're entirely enlightened but they still have blind spots. So what do we learn from this text? What do we learn from this text? Going back to verse 24 that we read before, Jesus asks him in verse 23, do you see anything? This man who's blind opens his eyes and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. This is an incredible verse that I think people kind of breeze right over. The reason why it's incredible is because this man was honest about his current state. Think about all the things he could have said. He could have said, thanks, I'm good. This is amazing. The spit worked. (laughs) He could have said, this is better than seeing nothing. He could have said, hey, I see. I see. But listen to this. He was dissatisfied with his sight. He was dissatisfied with his sight. Why? Why? Because for the first time in his life, he could see enough to know that he wasn't really seeing. That's huge. For the first time in his life, he could see enough to know that he wasn't really seeing. Do you get that? Do you get the weight of that? Listen, I want to challenge you to be dissatisfied with your spiritual sight. 
Be dissatisfied with your spiritual sight. Allow the rhythm of your life to be one that says, God, but I want your heart in this situation. God, would you give me your perspective? I have my opinion. (laughs) I have my opinion on how this should work out. I have my opinion on how you're wrong, God. I have my opinion about how I'm mad. I have my opinion about how the world is wrong. You name it, we have our opinions because we're human, but would we take the time to say, God, I'm so dissatisfied with my flesh. I know enough about your truth and your compassion and your grace to know that I don't function that way that I'm not nearly grace-filled enough, that I'm not nearly compassionate enough. There are people that move me to anger when I should love them. God, would you continue to do a work in my heart and mind? Lord, let me see. Let me see. I'm not content with my sight. We need to be dissatisfied with our spiritual sight. Ask Jesus to help you. Have you seen enough of the grace and compassion of God in your own life to not be okay with your spiritual blind spots? Or do you justify them? Do you explain them away? Because after all, I mean, you're right and they're wrong. You know, they don't know. Gosh, are you caught up in the world system? Are we, I keep saying you, are we, Are we caught up in the world system that we're arguing and angry with those that God is calling us to reach? Think about that. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Like, who cares? Uh, uh, Who cares about all the things? They're real issues. I'm not dismissing the issues. But I'm talking about who cares about the fact that you disagree about politics, about things that will change, that will ebb and flow when eternity is on the line. When eternity is on the line. Have you allowed your blind spots to take you off mission? Have we allowed our blind spots to take us off mission? Have we allowed those four words, you are the Christ, Have we allowed them to be our only truth? Our only truth that transforms everything else. You are the Christ is the central transformational truth. You are the Christ. That's it. That was the moment. That was the moment that everything changed. The unnoticed truth was revealed. For the first time in history, God had entered into time and began the process of revealing who he is to humanity. I want to challenge you because every week we say that the text requires something of us. And I hope and I pray that on some level you're undone, that you're a little bit uncomfortable, that you're questioning some of the ways that you rashly responded to people or the things that you've communicated on social media or whatever it looks like. And and listen, if you're out there and you think I'm talking specifically to you, (laughs) get over the spiritual pride of that too. (laughs) Like we're all guilty of this. This is a human condition. But as you wrestle with this, as you're undone with this, I want to challenge you 
to do something a little bit more reflecting in nature. The response and the application this week is to journal. And I challenge you to journal. How does who Jesus is change my current reality? We want to challenge you to journal because I think sometimes when we ask the questions, unless you're in a circle, there's nobody really asking you to to process that out loud. And so we want to create a sense of of accountability. And especially in this season where maybe you you find yourself maybe a little more isolated than you typically are. I want to encourage you to journal and to process. How does who Jesus is change my current reality? How does that change? If it doesn't change your current reality, then there's something to think about much deeper. Now, for some of you, you might say, Jesus, who Jesus is, changes my current reality in profound ways because I've never been in relationship with him. I don't live as if he is my savior or my Lord. To you, I would, I would welcome you to introduce yourself to the Lord, to come into relationship with Jesus today. It's as simple as praying a prayer, and it doesn't have to sound like this, but something along the lines of admitting the fact that you are a sinner, that you've tried to live your life for yourself, but that you want to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come and be the Lord and leader of your life. And if you want to understand more about the implications of that and the next steps of that, because spiritual maturity is a process, we want to walk alongside you. So we encourage you, if you're live with us right now, to to click the prayer button and you'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts. Or if you're listening or watching this later, you can go to our website or email us. And we'd love to walk alongside you as you continue in learning to follow Jesus. For others of you this morning, maybe you've already crossed that line of salvation, but are you in the practice of asking Jesus to help you see? Are you in the rhythm of your life to say, God, don't don't let me respond so quickly, but would I just think about how it is that I should respond if the goal is to be a change agent in the eternity of this individual? How do I respond in love, in grace, in mercy? Because not, I'm, not because I'm conjuring it up or because Claude told me to or anything ridiculous like that, but because I have experienced your love and your compassion and your patience. And so God, help me to award the patience and the, and the compassion and the love and the kindness that you've awarded to me towards others. Are you in that rhythm? Is that what it looks like to contemplate who Jesus is changing your current reality? For others of you, maybe you're in that rhythm I want to challenge you to be missional in your approach to this. What does it look like to reach people that are maybe different than you? Maybe diametrically opposed. But they're people that God has put in your sphere of influence. So it's time to to journal about who Jesus is changing my current reality and how I reach those that I love, those that I interact with, those that I work with. Let's consider that. Let's... Let's be messed up by the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that that you would speak loudly and clearly to us as we reflect on this. Or that you would show us the areas of our life that we have gotten wrapped up in the system of the world and we have settled with a a level of, of blindness in the way that we interact with others. Lord, would you give us spiritual sight? Would you help us in the process and the journey? as we continue to to learn to follow you. In your precious name we pray, amen.
Amen. Well, that does it for the Unnoticed series. Can't wait to see you next week as we begin a new series. Hope to see you then. Thank you so much for gathering with us today. I don't know about you, but I'm a little sad to see this Unnoticed series come to a close. The past eight weeks have been so incredible, but the good news is we still have all this week to apply the text. And we can also look forward to staying in the book of Mark as we start this new series. Day, I'm really sad too. But there have been a lot of life-changing takeaways in this series that I'm so grateful for. Yeah. And our prayer is that you continue to notice what God is up to in your life, in your spheres of influence, and in the world. One way to do this is to stay engaged throughout the week. Who Jesus is changes our current reality, and we're encouraging you to journal about it. Even if journaling isn't typically your thing, just take a few minutes to intentionally put into words how he changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for us as a church to get to apply the text and worship in that way. Another way to worship is something that we get to do together if you're gathered live, and that's singing. Um, if you're connecting at another time, you can still sing with us either by finding the video posted on Facebook or singing along with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for the Unnoticed playlist. So for those of you gathered live on the online platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.